Pastor, Pastor Ben. Well, it's that time of year again where many of us find ourselves in a little bit of a debate, uh, in a controversial conversation, but it's probably not the controversial conversation you're thinking. Uh, so many of us find ourselves either on the team pumpkin spice or on the team it's still summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I <laughs> know. I'm hearing some preach it. I'm hearing some amens out there already. Right? And so some of you feel like summer is still happening. Look outside. It's warm. It's beautiful. It's time to go camping or it's still time to go camping. This is great. And then there's others of you who are counting down the days to pumpkin spice being at Starbucks or wherever, all the fall things being in the stores. Hobby Lobby has pumpkins and all sorts of crazy stuff. They have Christmas stuff too, but we're not going to get into that. I mean, so for you, for you, where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself in team it's still summer or are you pumpkin spice fall? Where do you find yourself this morning? I am in the team summer boat. Yeah, okay. I think there might be a lot of you who agree with me. Oh, nope. <clears throat> Ashley says no. So I am in I am in the summer side of things. I still really enjoy all the activities of summer and one of my favorite things to do in summertime is to gather around a campfire. I love gathering around a campfire with people that I love or people that I haven't gotten to know yet and I really enjoy one of my favorite summer treats, s'mores. Yeah, one of my favorite summer treats are s'mores. And uh, in fact, one of my favorite ways to eat s'mores is actually with Reese's peanut butter cups. Have any of you done that before? Okay, so at our church camp out this year, we brought some. Brad and I brought some and we shared that and got to share that joy with everyone else. So if you haven't tried that yet, summer's not over. You've heard it. You heard it from me right here. So summer's not over. Try s'mores with Reese's peanut butter cups. But anyway, so about, about these s'mores. So for the majority of my life, here, I'm kind of embarrassed to share this with you, so try not to judge me too bad. For the majority, well, for 22 years of my life, I actually thought that it was pronounced shmore, not s'more. And I think that was something that my family just did, and so I was convinced in my mind that it was shmore, not s'more. And I, and I read it, and I saw how it was spelled, and I just thought it was one of those funny things, and it's just pronounced shmore, right? That's how I, that's just what I thought, until I was on a camping trip with a friend of mine, and we got into a heated debate about how it's not called shmore, they're s'mores. And she took a poll among people that we knew. She took a poll to prove to me, and we called people to prove to me that it's not s'mores, it's s'mores. <sighs> a little embarrassing. But, yeah, s'mores, now you're pronouncing it, s'mores, s'mores, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, but when, when I realized this, that that's not how it's pronounced, I felt like I'd been lied to my whole life. 
I felt like all this time, I thought it was supposed to be shmore, not s'more. I felt ripped off. I felt lied to. And maybe for you, as, as you're hearing my story, maybe you also have a similar story about something that you've been taught your whole life or something that you've been told your whole life, and it turns out that it's not quite what you thought it was. It can rattle you a little bit. It can shake you up. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a scripture passage where the people watching Jesus' actions are having their rhythm of life challenged. Their whole lives, they've thought that their rhythm of life is supposed to look a certain way, only for Jesus to show up and to tell them that that's not actually what God intended. So let's, let's dive into the background of this scripture that we're going to read in a minute here. If you spend a fair amount of time reading the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus was pretty controversial and in a deeper sense than pumpkin spice versus summertime. He was pretty controversial, and the world that surrounded Jesus was the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire put structures into place that led to a lot of hurt among the people. The Roman Empire put structures into place that led to malnutrition, disease, and short life expectancies. The life expectancy for people who found themselves among the elite often was around the, their 60s or 70s. So if you're in your 60s or 70s or older, take heart. You would be among the elite. But for those that did not find themselves in that category, the not-so-fortunate, life expectancy often fell around 30, around 30 or so, if they did not have those same privileges. These shorter life expectancies were due to inadequate water supply and distribution, unhygienic storage in cisterns, transmission of diseases in public baths, and many other systematic problems. This was the world that they lived in. It was a way of life that they had been taught their whole lives. This is just how it was. And then Jesus comes along, and his teachings are rewriting their moral compass, the law that they've learned to follow from their religious leaders. His teachings were a direct confrontation with the Roman rule. The religious leaders took God's word and twisted it into their own that set up systems that benefit a small portion of the population but hurt the masses. Imagine being taught a way of life by the church to find out that God has so, something so much bigger in store for you and the rest of humanity. But for some of you, that might not be so hard to imagine. I was just sharing with a guest this last week um, who came to visit our service. I was just sharing with him that something that's pretty unique about the life of our church is we have quite a few people, and you might be one of them, who have found yourself hurt at some point or another by the church. You have deep wounds by things that have taken place, things that were said to you, actions that were taken that have hurt you. But through much prayer and community and a deep reading of the scriptures, many of you have found healing or are in the process of healing. 
So for you, it may not be so difficult to relate with this, that things are not how they should be, right? So for the, peop- the people that are listening to Jesus, the way have they, that they have been raised is being challenged. Last week, we looked at a passage that can be incredibly controversial for Christians. Luke chapter 12, when Jesus said that he came to bring division rather than peace. Pastor Ben dove into talking about the blazing, passionate love of God and how through the Greek we see that Jesus was articulating his desperate desire for the world to be ablaze with God's love for all of creation. And this morning, we're going to look, we're going to continue on in the book of Luke, and we're going to look at chapter 13. So if you would, would you open up your Bibles with me? Open up to the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, Woman, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader incensed, that's mm, upset, upset that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, there are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord replied, hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan, for 18 long years be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, all his opponents were put to shame, but all those in the crowd rejoiced at all of the extraordinary things he was doing. So when I read this passage, I can't help myself but, but, but to find myself wondering about the woman who's healed. Maybe you are too. I wish we knew more about her. I'm wondering about her. She's been crippled for 18 years. 18 years is a long time. Can you remember being 18? When I was 18, I was just trying not to get speeding tickets, right? (laughs) Or for maybe for some of our wiser folks, can you remember what you were doing 18 years ago from now? What were you doing 18 years ago from now. Now imagine if for that 18 years you were not able to stand up straight. Anytime you needed to pick something up, you wouldn't be able to stand all the way back up again. That is a long time. And remember how we said that the average life expectancy was around 30? So if she, if she was actually 18, then that means that she would have been in the prime of her life. And scripture tells us that she's disabled by a spirit, but when we dive into the Greek, we see that this spirit is actually a chronic illness, even though Jesus says she is bound by Satan. So Satan here could mean that she's bound by more than just physical disability. I can't help but wonder if her heart had become embittered 
during this time that she was unable to stand up straight. Because when we have physical struggles, there are almost always emotional struggles that come with them. And then there's the synagogue leader. I find myself wondering about the intentions of the synagogue leader, right? We don't know what they are. Scripture doesn't tell us, tell us. But when we read this story, I, I often talk about when we dive into Scripture that we really like to read Scripture through this Western lens where we like, it's like cops and robbers, right? We like, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys. Who do we not root for? Who are we rooting for? Right? And so when we read this passage, the synagogue leader is not our favorite person. But I want to ask the question, could this man have genuinely been just trying to follow the word of God? Maybe. It can be easy for us to get so focused on one aspect of scripture that we ignore the rest of it and what God is doing in the world. We can get so focused on a specific word of God that we forget the spirit behind the word and how it informs how we live that word out. I was talking about this with Brad as we were driving the other day, and he had a great example. It's kind of like the speed limit, right? The law says the speed limit is 60 miles per hour, but the spirit of the law is to keep you and everyone else on the road safe. And with scripture, we can do this same thing. We forget the spirit behind the word and just focus on the word itself. Could this man instead have been the villain we want him to be? Benefiting off of his station in life and the structures of the Roman Empire that kept him among the elite and the others incredibly poor? Maybe. Maybe he was a little bit of both. Either way, I don't think it's too difficult for us to see little bits of ourselves in the synagogue leader. I also find it interesting that, that in this story, this leader sees what Jesus has done. And scripture tells us that instead of speaking directly to Jesus, he instead responds to the people who are watching. It's a little passive aggressive, right? A little bit, yeah. But then Jesus turns around and responds to the synagogue leader anyway. It's almost like he's saying, instead of talking about me, why don't you talk to me? He confronts this guy head on. And that's one of the things that I love about Jesus' teachings. Jesus was a peacemaker, but he wasn't afraid of confrontation. In fact, sometimes confrontation is necessary in order to bring peace. But Jesus always has a kingdom of God mindset when he confronts anyone. There's a difference between that and confrontation for confrontation's sake. By telling the people to reserve their work for days that are not the Sabbath, he's also implying that Jesus is acting out of compassion is work. It's fascinating to me here that the image that's, be, that's been painted for us is Jesus teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and yet we don't hear him ridiculed for teaching with his words. The controversy only comes when his words are paired 
with action. So let's talk about Jesus a little bit more. No one would have thought differently if Jesus had ignored this woman. No one would have blamed him. If he had just continued to teach and speak with the people, no one would have thought differently. The expectation that had been set was for him to not do anything. So for Jesus to heal this woman in the synagogue was incredibly unexpected. Jesus' response to the synagogue leader, responding with a question that's almost like asking something that's common sense. He asks, go ahead and take a look. He asks, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give it water? You could say that he's telling them that they're treating their livestock better than they're treating a human being. Jewish tradition said that you were only to give help to someone in need on the Sabbath if their life were in danger or if it were being threatened. So to help someone out, it had to be a worst-case scenario. And yet Jesus still made the decision to stop, to stop what he was doing, to stop where he was going. He was moved by compassion. And when we study the book of Luke, we see that this is the last recorded time in Luke that Jesus visits the synagogue, which means that he's likely on his way to Jerusalem, the eventual place of his crucifixion. And while he's on this journey to Jerusalem, he stopped and pointed this woman and all of the people around him to the love of God. He pointed to a kingdom that defied an empire that kept people trapped in cycles of oppression. He pointed to a kingdom that put words into action. And then there's the people who are watching, right? There's everyone else that's in the synagogue. I kind of picture it like ping pong, where you're just watching things go back and forth, like, what's going to happen next? Oh, my gosh, Jesus is doing something again. I think about how this must have changed them. Because when Jesus meets a deep hunger in the world, you can't help but be changed. The people didn't know there was a different way of living out their rhythms of life that would radically change the world for the better. So I think there's a lot that we can learn from this passage. But here's just a few takeaways. This scripture tells us a great deal about how it is we should respond to a world that is hurting. There's so much going on in the world around us that it can be easy to become numb to it. We are familiar with the darkness. And we may be conditioned by our culture to just keep on walking. This week alone, some of the the news headlines in the area were that another dead body was found um, in Quinn's Pond. I also received two Amber Alerts on my phone this week. Maybe you did as well. When we hear these things, They may not shake us much because they become common headlines. Seeing hurt in the world has become normal for us. And it's easy to choose to not stop and dwell on these things, maybe because it can be depressing. It can consume us, and it can be easy to have the umbrella of this umbrella of hopelessness saturate everything. It's easy to to just stay there, to get stuck in that and 
just to stay there. It's often more difficult to focus on hope. Stopping to recognize the hurt in our world can feel inconvenient. It disrupts our routine. The easy thing is to look away, to stay in our comfortable bubble, to put up the walls in our hearts to the things that break God's heart. We worry that if our hearts are not hardened that they just won't be able to take one more news line. It takes greater courage, though, to allow our hearts to remain soft. It takes greater courage to show the world the same compassion and healing we are shown daily by God. The same grace that has been poured out on us is for all people. It takes courage to fix our eyes on Jesus when the world is telling us to focus on a million other things. But when we stop, when we stop and we choose not to look away, we point to a power that is greater than ourselves. We point to a kingdom that cares for all people, especially the lowest among us. We point to a God that brings hope in unexpected places. Jesus has empowered you to be that hope to other people, to choose healing and love always, not just on the most convenient days of the week or, on the mo- or at the most convenient times. Jesus has empowered you to point to a kingdom greater than ourselves that seeks to restore what has been broken. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Would you join me in turning your eyes to the screen and joining me in this call and response prayer? So when the bold comes up, that's when you will read. Gracious God, you are worthy at all times to be praised by not just our voices, but our lives. You created the world and all that is in it. For that, we give, we thank, we give you thanks. In a world that is hurting, we confess that at times we have looked away from suffering rather than responded with your love. Give us the strength to not look away. Lord, give us courage to be light in the darkness. Reveal yourself to us through one another and through your word. In the same way you have met us with mercy, would we meet others in their affliction with grace and mercy. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So we are going to transition into a time of prayer now. And I want to invite you, you can, you can choose to pray by yourself, or you can grab a loved one, you can pray with a loved one, and I want to encourage you to take a posture of prayer that is comfortable for you. And in this time of prayer, I want to ask you to bring to God anything in your heart that you've sensed um, has been hardened by the world around you. What is Jesus seeking to restore What hardened parts of your heart might Jesus be seeking to restore? And is there someone in your life in need of healing that you have thought of as an inconvenience? Join me in prayer.